Hello and welcome to the Invest Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice and abundance. My name is Gabby. And my name is Goose. Hello, Goose. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm fantastic. Fantastic. Yep. What do we talk about today, Goose? We talked about asset allocation. And more specifically, we talked about, um, we, t- we took it on a really interesting angle around um, thinking about um, capital allocation ratios, mm. how do you think about your portfolio from a principles-based perspective, um, how do all of that kind of stuff. So we kind of touched on, oh, we touched on, how to think about where you're at in your portfolio, emotional fortitude, capital allocation, capital to debt ratios, time horizons, uh, risk tolerance. Uh, did I say emotional financial fortitude already? Let's say it again. Emotional, yeah, emotional and financial, financial fortitude. fortitude. <laughs> 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 Da-da. Da-da. Um, yeah, so we kind, of, we kind of talked about all that kind of stuff. And I guess the big takeaway from this is really to try and help people think about their portfolio a little differently. Yep. Um, you know, this this understanding what to buy is just as important as where and when, um, but also understanding how to think about what that, that will be allows you to step away from a tactics-based approach uh, and will allow you to go farther, fur- further, faster, and uh, more fulfilled uh, than if you do it a different way. Did I miss anything, Gabby? Yeah, so if you've, if you've ever uh, gone through the process of pl- trying to plan out your portfolio and thought about how do I not get stuck? Or you may have heard stories about people getting stuck in, in real estate and it's largely down to asset allocation and actually asset selection and being conscious of choosing the right asset for where you are in your portfolio and the assets and resources that you have, but also where you are as a human being in your life and making sure that you pick the next asset that fits into that. And so people tend to get stuck when they actually choose the wrong thing And so this is a really important episode, I think, for that. If you've ever thought about how do I make sure that I don't get stuck? Absolutely. And make sure you stick around to the end to get dating and hiring advice as well. So (laughs) anyway, let's get stuck into it. Remember, of course, that if you like this, share it with a family member, friend, loved one, local stray dog, cat. Your cat. Cats cats love the show. (laughs) The attendant at the local burger store. Share it with anyone, your really. Barista. Barista. This is barista worthy. Mom. Unless you're in Melbourne, Share in which case nothing's worthy, nothing's worthy of a barista in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, let's get stuck into it, Gabby. <laughs> let's get stuck into it, Gabby. Make, uh, if you need any help, of course, make sure that you reach out to us at uh, theinvestorlab.com.au or simply send us an email. Hello at dash.com.au. Hello. Hello. Let's get stuck into it, guys. We look forward to seeing you on the inside. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the Invest Lab. You're with Goose and Gabby. Gabby. Hello. 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 How are you going? I'm well, thank you. Long time no see. I haven't seen you in so long. <laughs> <laughs> what is... Oh, what so much the- so much goose time. <laughs> <laughs> People pay a lot of money for that. <laughs> you, you're like You're, like you're wallowing a hot commodity <laughs> and I'm, I'm the lucky one that you're staying out of your life. We just, we just giggle too much on this show. I, <laughs> think, I don't think there is too, such a thing as uh-huh. too much giggling. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 
I think people Hello. take property way too seriously. There's not enough giggling in property, I think. Giggle more, guys. There you go. That's the hot <laughs> tip for this episode. More gigs. <laughs> Get on the gigs. For the benefit of the passionate and avid and committed listener, <laughs> what have you been doing lately, Gabby? What have I been doing? We went on a little we went on a little holiday. Holiday we did. weekend away. Yeah. Beautiful. We went up to a place on the Hawkesbury River. Yep. And it was amazing. It was good to switch off for a couple of days. Feeling um, recharged? Yes. Feeling recharged. Back in the swing of things this week with a fresh perspective and feeling good. Great. Awesome. <laughs> How are you? I'm great. What have yeah. you been up to? Uh, Did you also go on a weekend away? Yes. <laughs> the same things as you. <laughs> But I've also been doing this other thing as well, right? So I've been I've been like biohacking. Without me. I've been just watching you start to glow from a distance. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So even faster. I decided that I decided that um, my brain wasn't moving quick enough, so I thought I'd just like find more new tropics to make it go faster. Mm -hmm. Engines running, it's like (laughs) cranking up. So. Um, no, I'm good. <laughs> Actually, we do have we do have what's it called Alpha Brain. Yeah, but I also There's got this other one, Qualia Qualia Minds, and it's yeah. so it's so powerful and full of so many things that you have to take seven caps just to get all the stuff. I mean, if that doesn't just scream value, I don't so, know what does. Yes. <laughs> anyway, what are we talking about today? We're not talking about we're not talking about going to the Hawkesbury River. We're not talking about. <laughs> Um, super powering your brain. That, that could be a really good episode to talk about biohacking, but... It would be. Mm. Mm. What are we talking about today? We're talking Abitron. about asset allocation. Asset allocation. Always turns into a jingle. That's good. It does, doesn't it? Yes. I don't know why. It's just <laughs> flow. Uh, what flow. do we mean by asset allocation? What are you talking about? What are you well, talking about? What are we talking about? Uh, so asset allocation, I personally think, is something that's really... I guess, under-discussed in property and when we're thinking about a property portfolio. It's it's a quite a common term. Again, we keep kind of referencing shares. Um, it's quite a common term in terms of like, you know, traditional assets in terms of shares and that kind of strategy. Um, but it's a really important concept to consider and apply to real estate. And so it's essentially the idea of being strategic around selecting um, specific asset types and the way that they perform in order to get you closer to your goals. So it's if you've ever gone through a process of like trying to plan out your property portfolio, that's basically what it is. You know, there's the saying of um, get you from where you are now to where you want to be. And so asset allocation is kind of the process of allocating particular asset types and their performance along the way to actually help you get to that goal um yeah does that make sense that makes perfect sense and it was well it was well articulated i think it's exactly right so um the way that i what you're talking about is basically how do we distribute our capital in the most efficient way in a way that is actually going to move us towards our goal and not away from it that's what asset allocation is how much money should go into which assets and what types of assets would they go into and why? And so there's kind of three key components, I think, to property success, right? There's there's buying the right property in the right place at the right time or the what, where, and when, right? Mm-hmm. So the where can be good. 
Um, but the when is important, right? So that's like suburb selection and market timing. Mm-hmm. But then once you've identified the right suburb at the right time, which is kind of like that's kind of the science part. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you've got the art part, which is okay. Well, if we're in a suburb where there's you know ten thousand potential properties that we could buy, exactly what would we buy? Because not all not all properties are made equal. Not no two no two properties are the same. No two people are the same. No two journeys are the same. You know, the where they are now and the where they want to be piece that you mentioned is mm-hmm. different, literally different for everyone. Even yeah. though everyone wants the same ultimate outcome, you know, time, money, freedom. Houseboat. H- houseboat on the Hawkesbury <laughs> River. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so far, I've spoken to 1,272 property investors and every single one of them has said, my goal, Goose, is a houseboat on the Hawkesbury <laughs> River. <laughs> Clockwork. Every single, every single one. That is going to be one busy boat. river once by the time we are done. <laughs> You're just going to be able to walk right across it. <laughs> come back. Come back. Okay, okay. Sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So, um, yeah, Can so I, as, uh, yeah, go on. I just want to give some context. So, this has kind of come up. Um, obviously, this is like a large part of the conversation that we have with clients, right? Yeah. Um, but it's the strategy piece. Yeah. So, but I actually thought about this because you were telling me yesterday you had a conversation with someone who kind of runs – a community of business owners and you, he was, you were talking together about how um, you could collaborate together and like what kind of value you could bring. Yeah. And his suggestion was that we as Dashdot as a business could kind of put forward, what was it, three deals a month yeah, something like into that. this yeah. kind of community or this portal or something um, for his, his community members to, you know, pick and choose from this portal mm. of deals and had just have these deals kind of selected. And it was, you were instantly like, yeah, that's not going to work. A, it doesn't work in our business model, but it's also like, that is just not what serves people the most. Totally. So, so the problem that he was trying to solve, and sorry to jump mm-hmm. in, the problem that he was trying to solve is he's got all these business owners. He's a business coach. He's yep. got all these business owners that he works with, and they've all started making way more money, which is cool. But now they're asking the, the big, you know, the, the classic business owner question, well, now what, mm-hmm. right? And so as a coach, he was going, hey, look, you know, let's start, you know, all these people are saying, let's, I want to build wealth, I want to build wealth. And he's going, great, awesome, let's get a quarterly plan, let's, you know, buy some properties, whatever. And then at the end of the quarter, they catch up and they wouldn't have bought any properties. And, and so what this guy, this, this coach, he thought that the problem was that his clients didn't have enough deal flow. Right, didn't have enough access to to, to deals, to properties, <laughs> and so he thought that the solution to the problem was more properties. He's like, "Hey, are you able to? Can we create this kind of situation where you can just send heaps of properties our way, mm-hmm. so our clients have deal flow?" And I was like, "Deal flow is not the problem. Like, the last thing people need is more deal flow. Yeah, deal deal flow. That's just that's a recipe for anxiety. Yeah, for sure. And I think with that, it's like it's because." A, it's like it won't help people actually take action, you know. You see, you, you get people more options and it increases anxiety and decreases action taking. Mm. Um, but it's also not in their best interest, right? Because if yeah. you're just presenting these properties that, you know, totally vetted by our team and everything like they on on a piece of paper are amazing opportunities. Yeah. But someone may be in the complete wrong situation and have the complete wrong um goals and where they're at in their journey to be to then go and buy that asset and it completely throws them off um, their kind of journey to getting to where they're going so it's really not about asset just volume for them it's it's more about you need to be way more strategic 
carbon. T- totally. So this is kind of what this conversation is about. Yeah, hundred percent, right? And so just as I said, the key to property success is right property, right place, right time. Mm-hmm. The the number one reason that you know ninety three percent of property investors never get past two property and seventy seventy four percent never get past one is because they buy the wrong property in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. And so asset selection really plays a massive role. So you could get the right you could get the right suburb at the right time and buy the wrong asset and get get stuck and get and and never yeah. ever 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 get to your goal. Yep. So asset selection is is you know you know in some way potentially the biggest um, the biggest piece in the whole in the whole pie. Yeah, that's actually interesting to think about like so many people that are like really into into property and like just love they're in all the forums, they're in all the groups and stuff and everyone just kind of wants to know locations like where are you yeah. buying right now? But again, that doesn't serve people because you can have the right location at the right time, but then go and buy completely the wrong asset in that to- area totally. and completely. You may as well have bought anywhere. Yeah, and 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 to and to your point, Gabby, that's actually one of the that's actually the main reason that I don't like yeah. to talk about the suburbs yeah. that we're buying in. Yep. Because people will go, oh, I know the suburb now. Let's yeah. just go and buy anything in that suburb, and it's not and it. <laughs> For sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're get it wrong. You know, and then they turn around and say, oh, yeah, you told me to buy in this location and, and turned this property shit. didn't perform <laughs> okay. well and therefore, you know, it's like, eh, you bought the wrong property. Okay, so. Yes. All right, so we've established um, that it's important to get the yes. right property, but then how, how, the big question is how do we decide what, how do we decide like at the asset allocation in our portfolio? Mm-hmm. Got any ideas? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, that's uh, that's a wrap that's for today's it. Thank episode. Thank you for coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think. Um, well, okay. So I think it's from my perspective, right? I'm I'm super high level, so I think it's about um, again, it's identify taking stock. It starts with like an audit of like where you are right now. What assets do you have? If you already have some property, if you have a certain amount of cash, if you have a certain amount of borrowing capacity or income or yeah. everything, where are you now? And then identifying both the time horizon, which is like how long do you want to keep doing this investing thing mm. before you ultimately reach this goal? And like, what does that goal look like? Like, is it uh, replace your income You in terms of cash flow? Do you want to buy your dream home? All of this kind of... Yeah, is it build a net wealth legacy for your kids? Because there's people yeah. who do that too. You know? Yeah. And so that's kind of from high level that would be where I would imagine would be the first step is that correct yeah yeah pretty much right so um it's about resources right so there's a few things it's about <clears throat> it's about where you're trying to get to how fast you want to get there and what resources you've got to get there with right mm-hmm. um so understanding that is going to be massive right so you know as as you so it's kind of like time horizon and risk tolerance and all of that kind of stuff and so there's a few things that come into it resources which I want to talk about I want to talk about capital to debt ratios. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk about um, capital allocation between the different tiers in the apex progression. Uh, and I want to talk about uh, emotional and financial fortitude because they play a big, Great. big, 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 big piece in it. Because just because you've got a bunch of money doesn't mean that you should, you know, like it doesn't necessarily dictate, oh, you should just do this because you have X dollars. Yeah. Um, yep. So the first thing I want to talk about though, and I think this is a, a wildly misunderstood or... Um, underappreciated component in the whole strategy piece, it's capital to debt ratios or capital efficiency distribution. Mm -hmm. Um, So what that means in simple terms is 
how do you think about the resources you've got? For the, for the purposes of this part of the discussion, we're just going to talk about like cash, right? But it could be equity or it mm-hmm. could be whatever. We'll just say we'll talk about cash or capital, right? Yep. So, um, you know, let's say you've got $100,000, right? And you would go and buy a $500,000 property. What's going to be your capital to debt ratio if you had an 80% loan to value ratio? What were those numbers again? $100,000 and a $500,000 property, right? So you're going yep. to be buying a $500,000 property on an 80% loan to value ratio, but mm-hmm. the capital to debt ratio is a one to four. One to right? four, yeah. Yeah, so it's one to four, right? And so what you really need to be thinking is you need to be thinking around what is the, like what where is my optimal efficiency, right, of capital? Mm-hmm. So for example, if you were to go and buy a $500,000 property with $500,000 cash, I would argue that that's a very inefficient distribution of capital because you're not using the benefits of leverage, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, vice versa, if you were to say get a, a 100% LVR loan, for example, uh, I would also say that that would be inefficient in many ways because your cost of debt would be quite high and your cash flow efficiency would be down as well. So then the question is, okay, well, based on different situations, what is the best capital distribution and what is the capital efficiency? And this is going to be on a case-by-case basis, right? Mm-hmm. So. If we take a baseline and we say that you know a good a good uh, efficient use of capital is a is a one to four capital to debt ratio, that kind of gives us a baseline, right? So let's say you've got, um, you know, you've got two hundred thousand dollars of cash, right, and then you've got a one to four debt ratio. So that means you can get eight hundred thousand dollars of debt, mm-hmm. right? That means you could buy one million dollars worth of property. Okay, yep. now. Understanding these ratios really plays a massive role in understanding how you should, like, how you should be thinking about uh, your next property purchase. So, for example, if you have a, you know, if you've got a hundred thousand dollars, but you've got the ability to get, um, you know, two two million dollars worth of debt, right? That's what a one to eighteen. Uh, something like that capital to debt ratio, right? So it's actually wholly inefficient, right? Because based on the amount of capital that you currently have, you could never actually use all of that debt. Yeah. Right? So you're never going to be able to maximize your your usage of debt as a resource, okay? Now, vice versa, vice versa, if you had um, a million dollars in cash and $100,000 in borrowing capacity, then the biggest issue you've got is that your capital will be distributed inefficiently, right? So you've got debt inefficiency and then you've got capital inefficiency, right? So in, in those different scenarios, it's going to require that you think about your asset allocation in a very, very different way. And then you've got, you know, somewhere that someone, someone's in that's bang in the middle might be in the $200,000, $800,000, uh, $200,000 in cash, $800,000 in available borrowing capacity. That's a $1 million in total um, you know, asset acquisition power on an efficient on an efficient one to four basis. So, if you had, uh, you know, if you had a million dollars uh, of available purchasing power on a on on an efficient, you know, two hundred thousand dollars cash, eight hundred thousand dollars of debt, you could then think about, okay, how do I want to split that up? Should I split that up into one, two, three, or four properties? You know, four properties at two hundred fifty thousand. Um, you know, two properties at five hundred thousand. Um, three properties at three hundred thirty three thousand. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, different properties are going to have different characteristics, okay? But if we kind of like look to the edges rather than the the, the middle, and if we said, for example, um, someone had one had you know one one million dollars of available debt and a hundred thousand dollars of available cash, then the goal for those guys, because you know 
on an 80% loan-to-value ratio, you're not going to be able to efficiently use all, your, all of your debt. You're not going to get the maximum usage of all of your debt. So uh, you'd want to think about, okay, maybe we should go 90% loan-to-value ratio so we can distribute our capital uh more widely, use more of the available debt, less of our available capital per purchase, with a focus on increasing the um, the capital component of your portfolio, so i.e. capital growth, right? So what that would what that would imply is you would have a, a strategy that is biased towards increasing your capital. What that might look like, for example, is buying single family owner occupier appeal homes, um, you know, really close to town centres, potentially under market value. So the the, the thrust of it is actually not going to be yield based. The thrust of it is going to be growth-based. It's like, how do I maximize my capital? Now, if you've got a lot more available debt than you do have available capital, guess what? Yield plays a way smaller role in the whole, you know, in the whole piece. So if you've got 100 grand cash and you know a couple of million dollars of borrowing capacity and you've got a really good income and a good savings rate and all of that kind of stuff, then perhaps you could you know, be satisfied with a 5% yielding property if the value proposition was correct and if it served the function of increasing the capital within your portfolio. Vice versa, if you've got, you know, $400,000 of available cash and a million dollars of available debt, right, you might go, okay, well, in order to actually liquidate the amount of um, capital that I've got and and to move that around in the right way, I'm going to need to focus on increasing my uh, or extending my borrowing capacity through the usage of, of of yield targeting, right? So in that situation, you might target something that is higher in cash flow and higher in yield, so potentially a duplex or a triplex or a unit block or something like that. Now, is that all kind of making sense, Gabby? Yeah, it is, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? I was just thinking, so this is, it's largely with started resources, right? Available resources yeah. to you, whether that's cash or income or equity or whatever your starting point is in terms of resources. Um, and so you talked about, you know, the strategy for the next purchase in terms of like, should you be looking for something? Obviously, you want the holy trinity, right? So you want in every purchase, you want something that is a combination of positive cash flow in a high growth location with that value add potential. But at certain points, you want to kind of lean into one of those um points a little heavier than the other to keep your momentum going in your portfolio right? totally totally so just just to that point right yes the holy trinity you want cash flow growth and the, and and a value some value add component whether that be under market value cosmetic renovation strata mm-hmm. subdivision blah 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 etc right but trying to get a 100 percent maximum in each of those areas is actually wholly inefficient as well yep. right so it's about balance and the way that I like to think about that is, you know, if you wanted to, you know, if you had to had a, had a bunch of stuff to, you can go an inch in three directions, or you can go three inches three inches in one direction, and you're going to go a lot further in that direction. So it's about balance, and it's about understanding what your portfolio needs the most, and it's about looking into the distance, right? So if you if you if you don't have much available debt, uh, and then you lean into the wrong section of the uh, of the Holy Trinity, you might end up running. You know, if you said, "Oh, look, I know that I've only got enough." borrowing capacity to buy one more uh, property and I'm just going to focus on something that's got a 3% yield because I think it's in a good growth location, you're going to be stuck for like the next 15 years, right? Yeah. And that would be an example of that would be someone who, let's say they've got, they own their home and maybe not outright, but they've got a lot of equity in their home and perhaps their um, their income is not very strong, so they've just got an, an, a normal level income, but they've got a lot of equity in their home. 
and we hear people kind of get advised that you need to go and do chunk deals. So you need to go and like do these these subdivide and flip kind of deals mm. when they've actually got no income. When yeah. so the, the strategy should probably be more like look for something that's a, a stronger yield play at least initially, so that you can liquidate that the equity that you have, which you currently can't do with your income as it is. Correct. So going and doing chunk deals at that point in time. As a strategy, it works for certain people at certain points in their portfolio, but that for that particular person in that situation right then may not be the best strategy right now. Yeah, 100%. And, and, and it's, there's a few interesting parts to this, right? Because if you can understand capital to debt ratios and see them both as a resource, then you mm. can start to make smarter decisions about, about what to do next to make sure you don't get stuck. Right, mm-hmm. uh, and there are different ways to think about it. Right, you might do a deal um, specifically so that you can increase your capital to then sell it, and then to pay down uh, to, or to deleverage another part of your portfolio. That's something that you can do. So mm-hmm. that's a that's a situation where you might look for a trunk deal or just buy something that it's opportunistically under market value or whatever. Even though it might tap you out on your borrowing capacity, but with the knowledge that you're going to sell it in six to twelve months. Um, liquidate that capital and, and pump that back into your portfolio. That's one way to think about it. Yep. Um, a much easier and better way to think about it is like how do you just create a portfolio that can serve your needs and make sure that it's your, you're not going to be bumping against your your headlines on either capital or, or debt. But there's another piece in, this, in all of this as well. You've got availability of assets in the marketplace, right? So mm-hmm. um, you may have... Uh, and we'll get to emotional and financial fortitude as well. I think it's really, really important, right? So let's just say you're a first-time investor, right? And you've got, I don't know, five hundred thousand dollars in cash because you, you know, you've you've been, you know, whatever. You've got five hundred thousand dollars in cash, and you've got, you know, one point five million dollars in 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 debt, right? Available debt, available debt. When I talk about debt, uh, I talk I talk about it as a resource, not as like how much you owe. Yep. But you've got available, you know, 1.5 million of available debt. An easy way to think about it would be like, okay, well, how do I just get the maximum efficiency for my capital, which might be like in some hypothetical scenario that you would buy a $2 million property. So you'd use 500,000 cash or 1.5 million in debt. And that property would also yield at, I don't know, 7% and it would also be in a growth location and all that kind of stuff. And if you could do that, that'd be great, right? But the problem with that is you've got a sensitivity risk. So if you if you happen to get it wrong, you've got single point sensitivity exposure to a specific market. And secondarily, those types of properties don't don't frequently exist. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I had a conversation last night with um with actually a, a, a client of ours who, for all intents and purposes, could go and buy a you know a, a slightly more expensive property. However, based on where they're at in their portfolio, so. Um, we need to start by building a foundation, so we need to focus on building out growth assets. They, they've got a, they've got a, they've got like a ten-year uh, time horizon that they're working towards. Um, they're not short on cash flow. All good. Like there's no, like they've got plenty of borrowing and all that kind of stuff. Now the function that we've decided to do is to actually go. Okay, well, let's build out a, the foundation level first. Let's make sure we're building a, a growth base Big, for the next five years. Let's focus on accumulating capital, and then once we've built up that capital, we can then reallocate that that capital into higher cash flow assets at a later point in time. And he said, oh, yeah, cool. So should we just go and look for some six, $700,000 properties? And and sounds good. However, you've actually got to think about where, like what's actually available in the market, mm-hmm. right? So at the moment, you know, some of the best, 
um, properties that are going to get the best returns are actually, you know, in some markets are around the $350,000 price point. But that's not to say that we haven't also recently bought $850,000 properties. So you've really got to think about not just, okay, what is my price point? What is my, you know, capital to, to debt ratios? But it's also where are the best where are the best deals? I mean, the way to think about that is like, it'd be awesome if you could buy Tesla shares at a dollar, but that time might've passed, right? So where where are the like where are the value shares at the moment like how can you make value based trades rather than getting too hung up on a specific uh, price point or a specific yield point and also if you can understand your capital to debt ratios then you can start to think okay well maybe in an ideal scenario I'd be buying something that's five hundred thousand dollars and eight percent yield but perhaps those kind of properties might not be available right now in the markets that are worth buying in right now. So then should I buy something else and what would that impact be? So then you can start to think, okay, well, what if I bought a $350,000 property that was at 6% yield on this one, but then what that might mean that for the next one, I need to buy um, you know, a $400,000 property with an 8% yield, right? So you can start to then think about um, the spices you're adding to the mix. And this is where portfolio structuring gets really interesting because if you can understand the, the macro ratios and how to think about all of that, then you can get... Um, much more opportunistic and strategic as well about what you're adding to your portfolio and why and when. It's like, you know, it's like adding spices into a recipe. Hmm. Yeah, see, that's actually what's going to be like my next question was about um, if people have, let's say, 600,000 as their borrowing capacity, surely a lot of people would think that they should spend that on one asset, right? When you consider nationally kind of median house prices are, are kind of exceeding that and they're, they're, they're consistently going up, right? Median prices across the country are consistently going up. So people have this idea that, you know, 600000 might actually be cheap for a lot of people um, at the current point in time. So they would be thinking, okay, I'm just going to get one asset with and max out my borrowing capacity on one asset. How do you, how do you actually decide... Um, whether you should do that on one asset or you should break it into two or even three if it's a higher borrowing capacity. Like, yeah, how yeah, do you yeah. decide how many assets? Let's use a $600,000 example because basically what you're saying is should you buy one or two? Should you buy two $300,000 properties or one $600,000 property? Yeah, so even if we said like um, there's $1 million borrowing capacity, right? So you have no, one... let's use a 600000 because it's a good example, I reckon. Okay, well, I was going to do like one times 1 million versus like four times 250 or or two times 500 yes yeah okay okay cool fine so in that scenario look there is there is a there is an, an like there's fixed and variable costs in every purchase mm-hmm. right so on one level it makes sense to buy um the the highest value fewest number of properties possible um however what that does is also exposure to risk. So, for example, if you bought a $1 million property in one location, um, the for, firstly, if you're going to spend that kind of money, you still want to be getting good yields. You want to be getting like 6 to 8% yields on that kind of a property and that's going to be hard to find at that price point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you'll have, you'll have an issue on like, can you actually spend that much money on, on, yeah. on getting the right asset? Like, is that, is that practical in does the market? Does that asset actually exist? Yeah, does, yep. it, does it really exist and does it exist in the right place? I mean, you can spend yeah. a million bucks and get, get an 8% yielding asset, but the question is, is it in the right place at the right time? That's the, that's the, yeah. the, what, the what, 
what when and where. And you could also like you could end up setting this ideal this unicorn property that you're looking for, but you could be end up waiting two years to try and exactly find that. right. Yeah. So you got opportunity opportunity cost. Yep. So if you go to the other end of the extreme and say, well, all right, so from a risk management perspective, should I buy ten properties at a hundred thousand dollars? Well, well, no, that'd be a really inefficient use of your capital, and based on a fixed and variable cost basis, your um, cash. Uh, your cash flow and your use of cash wouldn't wouldn't be used as efficiently, right? However, let's just assume that this person is a first-time investor and they have never bought uh, a property before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would argue that the best use of capital would be to in that in that scenario to potentially buy three properties at like three hundred and thirty thousand dollars, and the reason for that would be to um, build a diversified footprint on the ground, right? So. Multiple locations, exposure to multiple economic drivers, um, and and to diversify their growth base, right, and then use that as a platform to increase the equity. Now, a lot of variables there, right? Like how much is you know, you know, what's their, yep. you know, is their income likely to increase, all all of that kind of stuff. Um, but from there, if you bought assets that are, if you've bought well, you, you you're still going to have some headroom in terms of your borrowing capacity, and then after that, then you can start to uh, refinance some of that equity out and focus on higher cash flow assets at a later date. So I would argue, and there's a, there's another way you could think about it too. You could say, look, why don't we do, um, you know, two three hundred thousand dollar properties uh, in? So we would call those foundation ones, right? So you know, three hundred thousand dollars, six percent yield, under market value, all of that kind of stuff. To to firstly get get a couple of runs on the board, build up the capital base, get a good diversified growth base, and then. Mm-hmm. You know, realistically, you're going to be because if you're buying cash flow positive properties, you're going to be buying back some of your serviceability. So that means you're probably still going to have you know more than the the balance of four hundred thousand dollars borrowing capacity. You'll probably have something closer to five or six hundred thousand dollars borrowing capacity uh, or purchasing power. So then you can redistribute the capital and debt to buy something else, which is going to complement those assets too. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, and I guess it kind of comes back to like time horizon as well, right? Where if you've got ten years to 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 achieve your goals. Or 15 or 20 years however long you, you want it's a different strategy to say like if someone had two years to get something done like we've got clients who are moving overseas in two years and they want to get everything kind of set up so that it's uh they're they're financially they're not financially free in two years but they've got a good financial base yeah so for those they move so exactly. it's a different that's, strategy totally and that's really interesting right because that that they're, they're the goal for those guys is how do we maximize the return on investment mm-hmm. as fast as possible? Yep. How do we get the maximum return in the shortest possible time, which includes a high leverage ratio, a high, high usage of debt, so that you get the maximum return per dollar spent and the time horizon is quite short. Yep. Yeah. So the risk tolerance is higher then. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And someone who's got a longer uh, time horizon and a different capital structure, we might look at, say, like, let's just buy, you know, 80, at 80% LVR and buy different types of assets for different reasons. Now, it's going to come down to emotional fortitude as well because some people want to go as fast as possible. Some people say, look, how fast can I do this? And they might be buying four or five properties in a year and we've got lots of clients that are doing that, okay? So, which is quite funny in an environment where, you know, the standard property investor never gets past number one property. We've got clients that are buying anywhere between three and five properties in a year, um, which is which is pretty funny. Um, however... Speed is not for everyone, right? So, so some people might say, "Look, I'm I'm happy for this to take the next twenty years, and I'm not like I'm I'm good. This is just this is long term planning stuff. I'm happy with what I'm doing." And their cadence might be one a year for the next you know ten years, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that'll have, we'll be looking at different types of assets in that scenario as well, because you've got different pay down timelines as well. And, and depending on whether you're doing principal and interest loans or interest only loans and, and all of that kind of stuff as well. Yep. So there's, there are a lot of different ways to think about it. But I think that the most simplistic mental model, I think, is, is to look at the, um, look at the capital to debt ratios and work out where you're going to get stuck. Right? Because from there, you know, you can think about your speed and you can go, look, I can go fast or I can go slow. That's cool. Uh, and from there, you can think about a lot of different things. But if you can understand those two aspects, you're going to be able to make, you know, educated decisions on around where to go. Because at the end of the day, everyone wants cash flow, right? So if you could ultimately, if you could just get stuff that has high yield every every single purchase, you would. But you know, the reality is that, that, you know, they're not, they're not super common. Otherwise, everyone would be doing it. So if you can understand, maybe you've got, maybe you've got a, a, a ratio of, seven times debt to available capital, in which case, cool. It doesn't really matter if your yield is a little lower. 5%, 5.5%, cool. It's all good. Like focus on building up the capital. And then later on, we can use that capital to then focus on things like, I don't know, you know, seven, eight, nine percent yielding, you know, multi-family homes. Um, but you've got a complexity uh, analysis as well, which is where the emotional fortitude comes in because sometimes you know, complexity is a is a real barrier. You know, for people that have never bought before or who don't have, um, you know, a lot of experience in in buying properties and all of that kind of stuff. You know, adding things like trusts can can create complexities because you've mm-hmm. got all these additional requirements of things you need to do. Adding things like multifamily homes can 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 actually be a little overwhelming because oh, they've got multiple sets of tenants and oh my god, how's that all going to work? And you know, you've got all these other kind of things to think about as well. And so I think it's as important to think about the emotional journey that people go on as 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 much as the financial. And we've had loads of people that have come to us that have had plenty of capital and plenty of borrowing capacity, and we've said let's just start small because they need to get a couple of runs on the board first so they can build up their you know build up their emotional fortitude um, before moving into into more advanced stages in their portfolio. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's touch on that a bit more. So you say emotional and financial fortitude quite a bit. <laughs> What what do you mean by that, and how does that affect um, asset allocation? Well, um, financial fortitude essentially is you know what is your financial IQ as well as your financial capacity, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can have a lot of money, but also have a low financial IQ. And a situation like that might be, let's just say that you've never had any money and you've never really. You know, money's never been a part of your life. You've never been a good saver or anything like that. But all of a sudden, you get a big inheritance and you've got a million bucks. You know, you might not have a very high uh, FIQ, right? FQ. So you've got to think about okay, what actually is the and like, do you understand? Do you understand things like you know, capital allocation ratios, yields, you know, cash on cash rate? Like, what's your understanding of the financial side of the transaction? Or is it just like, all right, buy houses, right? So it's it's really about assessing, you know, financial understanding, uh, financial um, fitness. Like, uh, have you got a track record of being able to manage money properly? Properly, all that kind of stuff. Um, that's that's kind of the financial fortitude side of things. It's not yep. just about money; it's about your understanding of money as well. That's a big one. Cool. Um, and then you've got emotional fortitude. Right? So some people. Uh, are more resilient than others. Some people have a higher risk tolerance than others. Some people like things when they're fast and fast-paced, and other th- other people like things when they're slow and 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 and, and easy. So, if someone um, has a low tolerance for risk, doesn't want a lot of complexity, 
maybe has never gone on the journey before, is a little bit anxious about what's involved in property and how much, you know, and oh my God, how does all this work and how do property manager work? And, you know, if, it's, if there's a degree of stress involved, I would say that's a low emotional fortitude, right? Um, and that's okay because everyone starts somewhere, right? And then that's all good. Right. So someone who someone who has got a degree of um, a degree of stress around the process, I would say it's much more important to focus on assets which are not going to exacerbate that stress. Right. Because you may buy a great property, but if you get to the other end of it and you've had this, you know, damaging, challenging, stressful experience where you're emotionally scarred because it was all too fast, too quick, too complex, too hard, the likelihood is you're not going to buy any more properties or well, certainly not for a long time. And then that's actually going to move you further away from your goal, not closer to it. Mm-hmm. And so just in the same way that, you know, I might have a goal to run a marathon, but if I try and run a marathon, uh, if I just go, great, all right, I've decided I'm going to run a marathon and then go and try and run 40, whatever case it is, you know, I'm more likely to cause myself an injury. And also I'm going to, I'm, even if I did manage to complete it, I'm going to be in pain and I'm going to be hurting and I'm going to be like, screw this. I'm never running again. Running sucks. This is the worst thing I've ever done. Versus if I said, okay, cool. I would like to be able to run a marathon in 12 months. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to start by running one kilometer, right? And then slowly building up to that, I would, I would probably find that I have more enjoyment, more sense of achievement and more sense of fulfillment along the way. And I think that this is the, this is the way to think about it. It's not about, it's not about just going, how fast can I get into the highest ROI deal? It's about going, okay, what is actually going to satisfy me along the way? Because all of this is about the journey. You know, the goal is cool, right? But the goal is not going to happen really, really fast. You know, none of this is get rich quick kind of stuff. And so if you take a, you know, let's say a 10-year time horizon with the whole thing, you're going to have to, this is going to have to be something that you're going to enjoy. And you've got to think about, and you've got to think about that, not just about, not just about money as well. Does that kind of make sense? It does. And I think it's, I think it's way more important than people give it credit, like the, the, the role of emotions in property in this whole kind of world, because it really starts with self-awareness, right? It's, it starts with like taking stock of not just literally like, um, asset wise where are you at and resources but where am i at in terms of like the the realm of my life and what else do i have going Mm. on and being really honest and clear with yourself about what i can take on right now so if we go back to that example of um someone who's got you know maybe a lot of equity but um not a lot of income and they're they're kind of thinking that i'll go and do some kind of chunk deal or they might do like a might try to do a a full reno- renovation interstate like they'll do it, they'll do it borderlessly and not go there and try and manage that on top of their whole life what is yeah. currently happening and so we actually see this happen to people where they will take that on as their first investment kind of their first step into property investing and that's the first thing that they try to do because again it's a good strategy and works for some people but they're not thinking about how it fits into their whole life and so they go through that experience and it is so stressful it is so damaging just from the added stress that you end up leaving that experience you might have a financial reward off the back of it when you actually finally finish it but you are emotionally scarred from that experience and you automatically make the assumption well this isn't for me Mm. and you and you jump to property investing is really hard because you've accidentally done the wrong strategy for where you're at emotionally at that point in time Totally. It's kind of like it's kind of like dieting, right? Like 
if someone mm. wants to go on a diet and, or, you know, let's say they're like, hey, I'm too fat and I want to go on a diet and then they go to an extreme and they go, I can only eat grapefruits <laughs> and they might lose a whole bunch of weight really, really fast, but it's not, you know, it's not going to be something they're going to be able to stick with, mm-hmm. you know, and they're going to bounce back and they're going to get back to where they were. Right? Yeah. And so it's about going, okay, what's going to be sustainable? Like what's the sustainability um, uh, context with this whole thing, right? How do, yep. It's a marathon, not a sprint, right? Yep. Um, and to that degree, there's, there's this really interesting dichotomy though. It's like it's cool for it to take some time. So let's just let's don't get don't get too caught up in, you know, you know, should this be a six percent yield or a six point two percent yield? Like given the time horizon, it doesn't really matter. Like as long as you don't run out of debt and capital, and as long as you're managing the, de- the your capital to debt ratios along the way and your debt to income ratios along the way, you're all good. Like you'll just you just keep on motoring, you just keep on humming. Which is in fact, which is in fact why we have such a high volume of clients that are buying three to five properties a year, because we pay really close attention to okay, like what's what's the availability of debt and how we're going to manage that, mm. right? So you can kind of it's all good. Just focus on those things and you'll and you'll keep ticking through. But we've talked about things like time horizon as well. And there's this there's this really interesting dichotomy where it's like it's okay for it, like you know just just don't get too stressed about going too fast, <laughs> but by the same token. If you've got a, depending on your time horizon, very broadly speaking, you know, you want to, you want to divide your time horizon in half and you want to accumulate the maximum volume of assets that you can within the first half of your time horizon. And then you basically want to do not much for the second half, right? If you really want to think about it in simplistic terms. So the way that I would explain that is let's say you've got a 10 year time horizon and you're going to buy 10 properties in 10 years, right? If you could buy, and let's say that the goal was that you wanted to create the maximum amount of cash flow in your portfolio at 10 years, right? So let's say you're 30 now and you want to retire by 40 and to retire by 40, you need X amount of dollars in free cash flow. Um, would it make more sense to buy 10 properties, uh, one every year for the next 10 years or would it make more sense to buy you know, 10 properties in the first you know, five years? But the, the answer is that it would make a lot more sense to buy 10 properties in the first five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's got to do with usage of debt and, you know, you know, p- paying down of debt and increasing in rents and all of that kind of stuff. And so there is, a, there is an argument that, you know, the faster that you can build out your portfolio, the sooner you're going to get to your goal. However, that, 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 that then just means that you need to understand um, what your goals are, you know, because, you know, you know, we, we can help people to, to do what they want to do really, really quickly. But that then goes back to the emotional fortitude piece. Because if you're 30 and you're like, look, I'm, I'm good and I've got a family and I would actually rather this be not something that has to absorb a lot of my time, energy, effort, mindset, all of that kind of stuff. And I'm happy for us to just be really well set up by the time we're 50. And so you get a 20-year time horizon. Sweet. Different journey. Different journey to someone who is, you know, 50 and saying i want to be i want to be done by the time i'm 55 and you know then it's going to come down to capital allocation and all of that kind of stuff but you know you've really got to weigh up what are the goals you know and and remember that it's a journey you know yeah i think with that as well like you you were actually coaching one of the team one of our team the other day who's going through the process as a client himself at the moment and um he you know we're talking about what what what's your goal like what's the end goal and by when and he said i want 100 grand 
100 grand cash flow by the time I'm 30. He's 22, I think. Yeah. And so he was like, 100 grand cash flow by the time I'm 30. And you're like, dude, you don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? Why? And he's like, oh, that's just the, that's, that sounds like a good goal, right? And it's like 30. And then you were like, like, you just don't. Yeah. It's a good goal to have and it's a good like peg in the sand. Like that's kind of what I'm aiming for. But you need to take stock and again, be realistic about when I get to 30, like, is that going to be it for me? Am I like there? Yeah. And then that's like the end of the road. It's like realistically, like I can have a lower cash flow goal by then and then actually enjoy the journey getting to there and then kind of keep going and do yeah, the next the, phase. Exactly. There's a couple of other things apply to that as well. There's age, yeah. right? Yes. So at 22, his earning potential is not, he hasn't maximized his earning potential. So he's still yep. young in his career, right? Yep. So the likelihood is that over the next, you know, eight years between 22 and 30, his pay is going to increase, mm-hmm. his borrowing capacity is going to increase, you know, all of these other things are going to change for him financially, right? And having a goal of like, right, my in my end game is in is in eight years doesn't really set you up for how do I create the maximum amount of value, mm-hmm. right? And the reality is most of us, barring an accident or illness, are going to live to 80 plus, right? So I'm currently 35, right? So I've got about, I'm not even halfway, I'm not even halfway through, right? Mm-hmm. And I can't even remember what happened when I was five years old, right? 30 years ago, I don't know, right? So we've got these massive time horizons that we can actually work with. So really thinking about what that objective is and why is, is critically important. It's a little different. It is a little different if you're, you know, 40 or, you know, mid, mid, mid to late 40s or something and not, not in any way implying that that is old, right? But if you're in your mid to late 40s and you've worked um, for, let's say, 25 years uh, full time and then all of a sudden you realize that you haven't really set yourself up mm-hmm. with enough super or the right, you haven't you set yourself up to have the right kind of retirement and you're also then going, hang on a second, I might retire at 65 and then I'm going to, or 60 and then I'm going to live for another 20 odd years. What the hell is going to happen then? Right. Yeah. You may have a different sense of urgency, but understanding, yeah, understanding that time horizon is, is, is super important. And I think, I think just that getting, kind of getting granular on asset allocation things. We've talked about like the principles based approach. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of people might be like, but should I buy uh, something that I can have a granny flat on? Or should I buy something that is subdividable? Um, and I really think it comes back to first principles thinking. And we had, I had a really interesting discussion with a client the other day who came on board and said, hey, guys, I already know what I want, right? I want to buy something that I can either put a granny flat on or subdivide and I want to get these kind of returns. And it was very, it was very, very pigeonholed. Um, this price, these returns, this percent under market value, um, and these two specific um, potential ways of achieving that, granny flat or 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 small development. And so what we actually did is we cooked it down to first principles. It's like, okay, well, what are you actually trying to achieve? He said, well, like everyone, you know, he wants to be able to stop work and increase his capital, increase his cash flow and do all that kind of stuff. I said, what's the time horizon? It was about 10 years. And I said, well, okay, well, the most, the two, the only two things that we need to think about is how do we increase our capital and how do we increase our cash flow, right? He said, yes. I said, great. So does it matter whether it's those specific tactics or not? And he was like, well, no, as long as I'm achieving those outcomes. I said, great. Fantastic. And I think if we can cook that down to first principles thinking, it allows us to be more malleable in our approach. Because whilst, you know, some people might be like, well, I need to buy something and put a granny flat on it in order to get yield. What if the solution for you getting yield was actually to buy a duplex or a triplex? 
Uh, somebody might say, well, I actually need to increase the capital in my portfolio. Therefore, I must buy something that I can subdivide the backyard off. And it's like, well, what if we could just buy something that was I'm just making stuff up here, but what if we could buy something that was fifty thousand dollars under market value, and you could capture the capital in that way without the without the expense and without the time, and so and then vice versa, somebody might say, I want to do a small development, and you say why, and I said, well, because I want to get I want to get a twenty percent return on my capital over the next uh, eighteen months, and it's like, okay, well, if we could do that without you doing any small development, just purely by buying the right asset, right place, right time, right price. And you didn't have to have the risk and you didn't have to have the opportunity cost and you'd have to have the all of that kind of stuff. Would that be a better way of doing it? And the answer is always yes. So I think with all of this, we need to stay stay in a principles basis. Okay. So so firstly, what is what are the available resources I've got? Right? How much capital have I got? How much debt have I got? Total. Because a lot of people make the mistake of going, I'll go get a pre-approval for six hundred thousand dollars. It's like, yeah, but how much what is the total what quantum? Could you get? Yep. What could you get? What could you get? Because that's how you're going to know where your limits are. What is the total available, total potential available debt, regardless of how much capital you have? What is the total available capital, cash and equity and all of that kind of stuff? Okay. How are we going to combine those two things in the most efficient distribution of capital based on based on those metrics? And then what types of assets can we select that are going to complement um, your your capital to debt ratios and move you systematically towards your goal? Ditch the tactics. <laughs> Just ditch the yeah. tactics because yep. tactics change. You know, like we've had we've had um, partners that have now come to us um, for their clients because they've said, "Hey, for the last whatever five years, we've been saying that people need to do small developments to be able to build in the backyard because that's the only way that we knew how to build cash flow and capital." You guys seem to be able to do it without doing that. And actually, we can't find those kind of deals anymore. It's like, yeah, well, we can do it a different way. And this is the thing. It's like you have to stay malleable to the market. So whilst you know there might be a six-month window where buying unit blocks is the perfect solution for everyone, but then that window might pass, in which case then it might be an opportunity to look at stuff that can add a granny flight too for different reasons. Or potentially, there's a market which is critically undervalued and you can buy lots of under-market value properties because there's less competition there and you can capture money on the way in. So I think understanding the principles approach is much more important than getting caught up on should I buy something that I can do a cosmetic renovation to or should I buy something that I can do a strata subdivision to. These are all just little ways to achieve the ultimate goal of increasing your capital and increasing your cash flow. Excellent. Excellent. There was a lot of other stuff I reckon we could have talked about too, Gabby. So like use of leverage and impact of uh, cost of debt and stuff. But maybe we should park some of that for another episode. Mm, yeah, let's do that. Do you have any final thoughts for the passionate and avid listener? <laughs> um, I was I was thinking about like principles-based approach and not tactical, right? I, I was thinking about how it compares with dating because I think it ultimately it comes down to enjoying the journey, right, and being happy in what you are doing and being content with the journey as it is um, and, and your place in it. And so when I think about dating, it's like when are people Are you have, seeing someone? I'm not seeing... I'm seeing you. I'm seeing you. Come on. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> the, the cat's out of the bag, guys. People people know. Um, no, I was thinking about dating and I was thinking about how people that tend to have a really like finite idea of who this perfect person is that they want to start seeing and that they're going to try and find them. 
and they're really like tactical about like they look like this, they speak like this, they grew up here and blah, 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 blah. And they've got this bucket list and then so when they're, you know, I don't even know how people date anymore, but when, they, when, they're, when they're on the prowl, <laughs> when they're hunting, <laughs> they've, got, they've got this list of, you know, this very finite like pigeonhole of where they need to fit, otherwise they're not happy. And so that actually in turn means that they're not happy in the journey because they're consistently not finding the exact person and the exact asset to fit that exact need that they think that they want. Whereas if you zoom out a lot and go, what do I actually want from this scenario? I want Mm -hmm. someone who I can enjoy spending time with and who love and cherishes me. And then you can zoom out from that and then you can be happy in because you're more likely to find someone that it, that you have that connection with and so you have that asset that's more principles based <laughs> where you're not like super focused on the tactical of this yeah. is what i need it's like the, the ultimate goal is that this and then it's much easier to kind of find that totally and i was just thinking as you were saying that i was thinking about hiring so we're doing a lot of hiring at the moment yeah. and you can like it's the skills versus attribute attributes discussion yeah. Right. So it's like if you could find someone who has the perfect skills for the job, mm-hmm. right? However, if they have the wrong personality attributes, that's probably not going to be the right hire. They might be able to technically do the job, right? But you might not. <laughs> might not be. They might not be. They might not be an asset you want in your portfolio. <laughs> it's great. There's so many. There's so many. It's true though. Totally. So uh, you know, and and like. You know, just in the same way that maybe you should date or maybe you should – I'm not giving any dating advice because, I don't know, I'm out of the game. But, I mean, I think Gabby and he doesn't even know how people date anymore. I don't either. But, no. so, um, do people do that? Do people have fun? I think they go on MySpace, <laughs> don't they? Go looking for Probably. people on MySpace. Probably. Anyway, so, uh, like, you know, if you when you're, when you're hiring, you may find someone who's got the correct attributes, so uh, personality, aptitude, all of that kind of stuff, but may lack the technical skills mm-hmm. and they could actually be the perfect fit for the role. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if you, think about the, if you think about your portfolio and your assets in terms of, like, attributes rather than skills or, you know, principles rather than tactics, you're actually going to go a lot further and a lot faster and have a lot more fun. There you go. Finish up with some dating and hiring analogies. <laughs> so, if you're interested in dating some real estate and um, and hiring some properties, then come and speak. <laughs> We've got a unit blog just for you. <laughs> um, okay. My question to you, Gabby, is: Do you think that this has been helpful to anyone, or yes, has this just been I, waffle? A bit of both. <laughs> No, I think I, I really hope it has because as I, as I kind of keep saying, I think it is really important to think about this kind of stuff because it's so easy to hear a tactic and hear or hear a location or hear some kind of um, strategy that, that people tell you you should be doing and then going down the wrong path and getting it wrong and then having this scarred experience and then and then opting out of the whole thing altogether which is like it's 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 a shame that that happens because people know that real estate works like it it's it's a known asset class for increasing your wealth and it's like it's so important to think about this kind of conversation of making the right steps for you and where you are at right now yeah so i really hope it has been valuable yeah totally i i my one hope out of this is that people will start to think about um, is think about their resources differently. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then start to think about those ratios 
and then step back from the idea of thinking about tactics because it doesn't yeah. really matter. It doesn't really matter what the tactics are as long as you can focus on um, focusing on those two things. There's only there's only two things that power a property portfolio and help you to achieve your goals, and that's capital. Well, it's three things: capital, cash flow, and debt. Um, so if you can focus on what your balance is between all of those things and step back from you know should it be a blue house, a greenhouse, a red house, a big house, a small house. Five houses, one house. You know, if you step back from that and look at the um, yeah. look at the take a principles based approach to it, I think. Um, well, I mean, I don't think I know for yep. a fact that that is the reason that we have such a high number of clients who are buying three to five properties in a year, uh, when most other property investors don't get past one. So there's yep. got to be some truth to it. So, okay, guys, if you found this useful, make sure you let us know. If you say, if you thought that this was rubbish, make sure you let us know. <laughs> Too much and giggling. If you want dating, dating advice, advice, go somewhere else. <laughs> Don't come here. Go to MySpace. Run away. <laughs> um, but, yeah, make sure if you have enjoyed this, make sure you share it uh, with a friend, family member or loved one. And if you click haven't a, enjoyed click this. Click a thumbs up wherever yeah. the thumbs are. Click that. To subscribe, rate, review, thumbs up. Um, any other things? Blow kisses make? in the wind. That's weird. <laughs> Hey, guys. See you on the next episode. Bye.